Welcome everybody to the Tree Church Bible Study. My name is Chris Reed and I'm the Director of Biblical Education here at the Tree. It's my honor and privilege to host this podcast along with Pastor Matthew from time to time. I know last week Pastor Matthew was able to host with us and uh, it's our honor and privilege to be able to provide this podcast for you as a resource to help you grow in your understanding of the Word of God. Now we have a great podcast in store for you today. Today we're going to be ch- covering chapter 8 of, uh, of the book of Hebrews and I'm joined by two of my uh, all-time favorite people, and we have a great conversation in store for you. And uh, Pastor Michael throws even a little uh, additional question in there at the end that I think you'll find interesting. So after this ad, stay tuned for our conversation, and we hope that you enjoy. If you are newer to the tree, we want to help you get involved. Join us for our Next Step class at 11 a.m. on December 4th to learn more about the tree and how you can get connected. Register on the Tree Church app. Well, hey guys, welcome back. Pastor Michael, great to have you back. And Miss Tiff, glad to have you again on the, the podcast. How are you guys doing today? Doing good, good man. Good. Thanks for having us. Good, good. Glad that you guys are joining us. We're continuing our study on Hebrews and going to bust out chapter 8 today. So awesome. we'll be getting into that here real quick. But before we get going, just a couple of questions. This first one's super light. Um, not not de- in depth at all. Uh, if you knew that you're gonna die at midnight, what would you do on your last day? Dude, that's such a hard answer. <laughs> that's such a hard question to answer. As soon as I read it, I went through my I went through like 50 things in my head. My first response would be to like get everybody you love in like one room and, and hang out. Yeah. And then I was like, man, then you can't like. Have you ever been in a connect group that's too big? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd be like that. Like you can't connect to everybody, and I think it'd be kind of awkward. So I'm like, when I have to pick. Like, who do I pick? You know, it feels like a, that's a headache of a question, man. I don't even, I, but it would be some version of that. I would want a group of people that I really love and care about and just to hang out. I think that's how I'd want to spend, you know, those, yeah, those last days. Very cool. Well, almost like get to experience my own funeral. You know what I mean? Just like, yeah. Tell, you know, tell stories, just kind of hang out with everybody, have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Tiff, what about you? I was like, this just makes me sad even thinking of what you're talking about. I'm like, yes, I would want to hang out with my family. And then I thought I want to eat lots of chocolate because it doesn't matter. So what a great answer. Yeah. I can eat chocolate as much as I want. Oh, just yeah. die sick in the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, yeah, if I'm going out, I'm going out and eat a lot of good food and, and hanging food. out with people I yeah. like. So yeah, real for celebration. Sure. Yeah. 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 I'm also going to pray at some point because if I'm dying, I'm going to meet Jesus sure. and just make, make some things. We'll spend some time with yeah. him that day. That's, and a, true. that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So probably should have started with that. Tiff said, <laughs> said chocolate though, so I guess like <laughs> I know I like I didn't go spiritual at all. <laughs> that's all right. I want a really long worship service. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we want to seal that deal real yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no. All right. Um, are you more afraid of missing an opportunity or making a mistake? Making a mistake. I hate making mistakes. It stresses me out. It always makes me feel like I'm in trouble. And so I'm like, I try my hardest not to make a mistake. So, yeah. So you're okay with miss, like saying like, eh, no, thank you. Yeah. If you thought that you were going to mm-hmm. not be able to complete it or yep. do it. For sure. Cool. See, I'm always like an ask forgiveness, not permission kind of person. Like I would rather, I feel like mistakes are easy enough to mend. You can just apologize or like try to make it right afterwards. Opportunities don't always like re come up. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. that. Like, making a mistake very rarely haunts me or makes me, like, dwell on something. Because usually you just try to make it right and move on. But the idea of, like, oh, that was a great opportunity. I really should have taken it. Which I don't even know that I've had many of those. But I think in theory that would probably bum me out a little bit more. So I think I'd rather uh, – yeah, I'd rather make a mistake than miss an opportunity. I yeah. Think. It just depends. Mm-hmm. I think it depends for me. Like, it depends on what the opportunity is. There are certain things that I would jump at in a heartbeat and not even think twice about yeah. it. 
Um, not afraid of making a mistake at doing it. But there are things that I would be afraid of making the mistake and ruining something. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think so. Yeah. The typical Chris Reed answer, I'd fall somewhere in the middle. Yeah. yeah so, sure. That's, that's fair enough. <laughs> as Chris Reed as it gets. So, yeah. all right. So last question, and then we're going to go on into this week's study. Uh, in your daily routine, what brings you the most joy? So you can, you can call it like your, your, I don't want to say your morning routine. This is more like a bigger question of like the things that you do pretty typically throughout the day. Like what's the, what's your favorite thing about that on like um, a typical day? Yeah. For me, it's probably when I get to see my kids, like, like whether it be like, I'm not working that day. And so when I get to like wake them up or when I come home from work, but either way, like that first moment where you see your kids and they're super stoked to see you, mm -hmm. that's like, and my kids are at such a cool age too, where yeah. it's like, they're so, they're just so thrilled to, to see any, anybody who walks in our front door is the best moment of their entire day. <clears throat> Even if there's like 30 people like, oh, someone's here. And to be on the receiving end of that is like, I think that's the, yeah, on a daily basis, that's usually the things that bring, that's the thing that brings me the absolute most joy. Very cool. Tiff, what about you? Um, I love to have my morning coffee and my uh, quiet time. That's like my most joy. <laughs> it's quiet in my house and I can just be by myself for a little bit. Um, so yeah, I love that. I would say mine's, it, when I get it, it's it's a little bit of time at night before bed um, when I can just read and when I can just shut things off like with my mind and just kind of just kind of relax a little bit, hang out with Cass. And um, I think that's probably my favorite time of the day is just to be able to just to sit down on the couch, read a little bit, maybe watch a little bit of TV and just hang out. So, yeah. Mine I, is just to pray, you know, just to uh, <laughs> pray for <laughs> Hey, it's the it's the four hours in prayer that I spend yeah, yeah. every day. Every morning when I wake up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are. N yeah. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not even going to go there. But. All right. So All right, let's, let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about the Bible. <laughs> if you didn't hear that, if it's recording and you heard that, that was Alex. That's our uh, that's our tech back here. He he just uh, the voice of God tiffed. Tiff. <laughs> Mistake. No, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Alex talks to us every once in a while while we're talking, and mm -hmm. it's it's kind of fun. So mm -hmm. nice. try to figure it out. It, keep he show, keep he show loves work. it. Yeah, he loves it when I do this. I was just and thinking that earlier when you were doing it. You're like, I love praying so much. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, let him alone. <laughs> I'm just gonna kill you. Pants it, pants it. All right, let's 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 study the Bible. <laughs> Enough nonsense. Let's go to uh, some serious things. All right, so. Picking up in verse 8 is where we're at. We're, we're, we're going to be reading, that, but I want to recap just a little bit. The writer of Hebrews has been setting up this, this kind of concept, this same theme over and over again as he's kind of developed his, his, his sermon here that he's been given. And the, the idea is that Christ is greater, so that Christ has come. He is fulfilling what all of the Old Testament was. He's fulfilling all that God had planned, and um, he is the ultimate, the fulfillment of of what God has for his people. And so we see him talk about Moses being a servant, but Jesus being the son. So that he compared Moses and Jesus uh, earlier on. He compares the promised land um, to, the, to a greater rest that's available, talking about the rest that's found in Jesus. He talks about the priests in the temple, that they, they were great. That it was a great part of the, the people of God for a long time. But Jesus is the greater high priest. And even coming from an, a, a greater priestly line. So we talked about Melchizedek last week. I know Pastor Matthew and Mary and Stacy uh, broke that down. And that, that is 
I, I have to give them mad props for that because that has probably got to be one of the more difficult concepts and ideas to kind of yeah, navigate absolutely. through. Um, they did a great job too. Yeah, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of material out there on who Melchizedek was, and mm-hmm. um, so um, did a great job handling that. But so we get this concept of of Christ coming and He was greater. So there was something good, but then Jesus is is the fulfillment. He's greater than these other things. Not that they're bad but he's better. So let me ask you guys this question. Have you ever experienced something that you knew was great, but you knew something better was out there? Yeah. Yeah. That's Michael, a, you want to go first? Yeah, that's a great question for me. Um, so I'm, I, I'm a, like a, a, like a wannabe musician as well. So I've played Michael. That's like, <laughs> you're a professional musician, my well, friend. You know, I don't know. I feel like I'm a lot of goofy things, but I do get to play music a lot. Um, <laughs> And that is always the haunting thing about playing music is music gear because it's one of the most expensive but mm-hmm. coolest hobbies you can have. So like, I love playing electric guitar. It's one of like my favorite my favorite like passions and hobbies. Like even when I'm just doing music stuff outside of work, that's usually the thing that I'll pick up the most and kind of noodle around with and just try to like you know try to have fun and turn off my brain and play guitar. Uh, but there's these things called guitar pedals that are way cheaper than a guitar. So mm-hmm. if every time I wanted a new sound coming out of my instrument, if I were to buy a new guitar or a new amp. Too expensive, yeah. way too expensive. Yeah. A guitar pedal, though, you can get from anywhere from 50 bucks to the really expensive ones, like 500 bucks. But like even so, they're way more cost-effective than like a nice guitar. Um, so electric guitars are often plagued with like, oh, man, I finally finished my pedal board. Like this is exactly the – I want these eight pedals to make the sounds that I want. This one adds this. This does this. It's all perfect. Then one week pass, and you see a post on Instagram where this guy that you really like, his guitar tone, and he's got this thing. You're like, oh. I should try that. It's like this, <laughs> it's like this never-ending thing of like trying to the search like the perfect guitar tone. So it's one of those things where you, you'll know like I can spend a, cheap, a small amount of money and have a really nice guitar rig or like really nice pedals, but there's always that cooler. There's always that thing out there that just performs a little better, sounds a little better, sounds a little cleaner, sounds a little like adds this extra thing. There's like this big sky pedal. It's basically like the Holy Spirit in a box. And like, oh my I God. gotta like. I got to get that one. That makes it sounds like, you know, the, like the Lord's here. Okay. And, you know, just constantly try to figure out your whole, your whole thing. But I think that's a really good example. Oh, that's great. What about for you, Tiff? I was just going to say like running shoes. I never thought like, I thought you could wear just, you know, a decent pair of running shoes and you were fine. But really the truth is there is like the best pair of running shoes to row with. What's your what? What's your favorite? A6. I like A6. Really? Yeah. But the funny part is a lot of people like Brooks, and but Brooks I didn't like. They just didn't fit, fit my feet well. Sure. Yeah, you ever done the Pegasus ones? Who's telling me about this? Nike. Nike. Nike Pegasus? Nate likes the Nike to run into, my yeah. husband Nate. So, like, that's the funny part, too. But I think that's it is, like, once you find a good pair, you're like, oh, these are great. Yeah. I, I ran I – ran, I started running this year, and I just ha- still hate it. Like, I hated it then, and I hate it now. I started hating it way less where I was so convinced that running shoes are kind of a sham. I'm like, just like, God gave you feet. Just go run. Like, stop. And then I got, like, a really cheap – I think it's Nike Revolutions. They're, like, the real entry-level running shoe, and it just changed my life. And, yeah. I, and I'll wear them until they break. But I, know, I know. But I know that there's cooler stuff out yeah. there. I'm like, oh, if this is that good, I wonder how different that is. And I just have to, like, stop myself. Yeah. yeah. So mine was, like – I love bicycles. Like I loved bicycles growing up. I always was out riding a bike. I I loved to ride BMX. So we'd build dirt ramps and stuff like that in the woods and um, always rode with friends and did all kinds of fun stuff. Graduated and got a little bit older and graduated into more like, uh, like road bikes and stuff like that. And, and I had this road bike that my dad gave me and it was an old steel. They call them old steelies, but it's like a steel frame, pretty clunky. 
and I thought it was amazing. Like riding that, going from a 20 inch BMX bike to that yeah, thing, it's probably pretty different. Was awesome until the day that I went and I bought a a real deal like road racing bike, um, carbon fiber forks. It had aluminum frame. The thing weighed less than um, my shoe. Like it was like it was <laughs> super light. And that thing, I could get on that thing and I could coast. It. I'm I'm a little bit heavier guy, so mm-hmm. like. That's just like adding weight to go downhill. So like it, which meant I just coasted everywhere. Nice. Like I could coast and it wasn't hard to pedal. And so I was like, oh yeah, this is the real deal. Like right, that, that thing I was riding before was great. This is the real deal though. Yeah, I also great. have an example of steak. Like, sure. Yeah. Growing up, like the, the, I don't know if you guys were this way, but steak at our house was these little round things. Like Salisbury steak? Yeah, no, nah, not quite that. These were just little round steaks. They were probably about three eighths inch thick, oh, and um, the only way that you ever ate them was like biscuit, like hockey puck style. Sure, yeah. So like hard as a rock. And then one day I got a real steak, and I was like, oh, game that, That's a game changer. That's steak. It's true. Once you eat good food, you're like, oh, oh man, it's really hard to go back. I know. Yeah. 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 Steakums were a staple in our house growing up. That was like my first introduction. Mm-hmm. Introduction to steak. I don't even know. I don't even. I can't even imagine that's 100% beef now. Like whatever steakums are. I don't think that can't be. Even when you look at the packaging, it still looks like it's from the 70s. And it's like, who knows what is in here? <laughs> what in the world? Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a really good example too. Unfortunately, chicken is chicken. Yeah, chicken's chicken. Yeah, that's a good point. There's not really a way to nicer chicken. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all about the same. It's I've good, had nicer eggs. Yeah. I've had mm-hmm, really good sure. eggs that you could tell that like oh that's there's something very different mm-hmm. about that I don't know what that would be I don't know anything mm-hmm. about that kind of stuff yeah. but no nothing, nothing with chicken you're right so this is the context of what we're going to be talking about today of the that Jesus that all of these stories of the Old Testament all of these things the high priest Moses that they're good things but Jesus was always meant to be the fulfillment he was meant to be the greater. Um, of those things. So that's the context of what we're going to be talking about today in uh, chapter 8. So let me just pick up and we're going to read some some verses and then we'll uh, talk about it a little bit more. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne in the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would be no occasion to look for a second. So again, we come back here and we're looking at really this contrast between something that's earthly, something that's eternal. Um, The story goes here that that Moses went up on the mountain and God gave him a picture of what the the heavens looked like, of the the heavenly throne room, of of what the, the temple or God's God's presence looked like in the heavens, and then Moses shaped this tabernacle, this tent around what that looked like, and they were to enact these things in these different ways. And 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 what the writer of Hebrews is saying is there was a there was a a real version, a greater version of of this tabernacle of temple, and then there's the earthly version, and and this is kind of what we talked about uh, earlier on. It, but the the terms that he uses like 
the real versus the shadow. Mm -hmm. And so he would say like that the heavens were, were, were the real and the earthly would be more like the shadows, the, the, the things that alluded to it. Yeah. You, uh, know what's, you know what's so interesting about the Bible specifically addressing that or the author of Hebrews is that like I would say the opposite from my human perspective. Yeah. So, so many, many people would call themselves spiritual would be like, well, what's real is what's tangible yeah. in front of me and the shadow is would probably be heaven and hell yeah. and spirituality and things are unseen. 100%. So it's so interesting that it totally flips it upside down where it's like, nope, this is what's real. What you're currently experiencing is, is only a small part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I love it. And you know who brings really brings out the light um, the, and, and really flips that on its head and f did that for me was C.S. Lewis. Mm. Like he does such a good job Super of explaining – um, the reality of heaven. I don't know if you've ever read The Great Divorce. Um, it's a I did book. in Bible college, yeah. Okay, so while. it's a book that he writes that is essentially, and it's a fiction story, so he's not he's not making claims about how heaven and hell are other than the fact that he's he's trying to promote this idea yeah. that, that as human beings we live in the shadow realm and the heavens are, or heaven is the reality. Like, it's more real than we could ever experience. And so, like, the whole premise is, is that there's these wraiths that get on this bus, and they travel to heaven, and they're ghostly, and they're, they're, they're see-through, but then they get to heaven, and they can't even walk on the grass because the grass is so hard, wow. because it's so real, because it's, it's so, um, and, and the sky is so vibrant that, that their eyes are blinded by, by it. And, yeah. and you just get this picture of that we live in that, that, that shadow world, mm -hmm. and we're not even aware of it. Right. And I think about, like, think about all the good things that we experience and how hard we work to hold on to those good mm. things versus the promise of what Jesus, the reality that Jesus is bringing us into. Yeah. Um, and and that, that, that's made me think, like, have you guys ever seen or experienced where you've surrendered something to Christ and this has become a reality to you? So, so you've surrendered something to Him and expecting that you were giving something up, but in reality it was given back to you as something better. Yeah, yeah, I've had I've had quite a few moments like that in my life. I remember when I was, I I had a really specific moment like that in before I got married, of even trying to understand what I wanted to do and how I wanted to build my life. Where before I met my wife Gina, I would have thought like I would be a homeless musician my whole life, and not <laughs> even in a negative way. Mm -hmm. I would have celebrated that. Like, yeah, I, mean, I just want to travel a bunch, and I want to, you know, be a vagabond, and I don't have to tie my life into anything else. I don't want to have to like make money for someone else. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to have all the re like real adult responsibilities. Mm -hmm. I just want to do, you and I have had talks like this before. Uh -huh. For you, it's a little different. You're just like, I want to go to a cabin in the woods and you know, that would be, that would be your, and you can yeah. write, and you can read and that would be your, yep. everyone has like, everyone has their stuff of like, you know, I could see myself living a life like that. And then all of a sudden I met Gina and I fell in love and you know, we were in high school and all of a sudden I felt this really massive weight of responsibility. That was a really conscious choice. Like, do I want to give up this romanticized vision of what I think mm -hmm. my life could be? Do I want to trade that in for something more stable, something that has a lot more stewardship involved, a lot more accountability involved? Mm -hmm. And at the time, as a 16-year-old, that felt like quite the sacrifice. Right. That felt like, man, I'm giving up something that I thought that I was in some identity that I thought God gave me. And then what I got in return was like the most life-fulfilling life that I could have possibly mm -hmm. had. You know, something that certainly isn't perfect. None of our lives are. But it's way better than the first thing I just described, right. where I have these beautiful kids and an incredible wife who encourages me mm -hmm. and keeps me accountable and who builds me up and who calls me out and like all these incredible things that are sometimes challenging, but also really great. And that marriage is like the best, like, like brings me closer to Jesus because mm -hmm. you understand sacrifice better and dying to yourself better. So all of a sudden I thought what felt like a sacrifice, what felt like, man, I really am giving up this whole vision of like going and being this musician, all this stuff. But what I gained in return was just so much better than anything I would have gotten in the first place. For sure. 
I think for me, um, when we like talk about surrender, like I think about Nate and I, like and us not being able to have a kid and at the beginning of our marriage, but even like surrendering that to God and knowing that his way was way better. And it was like, I think back of like when all the adoption happened and we got Brantley, like it was, I mean, every step of it was God showing who he was in Mm. that. And so um, for us, I think that was just when we surrendered it. When we surrendered it, we thought we wouldn't get anything. You know what I mean? Right. And God's like, no, I have a bigger plan for this. So and good. so, yeah. yeah. No, that's awesome. And <laughs> I think, too, it happens. So, like, I'm with you, Michael. Like, there there have been moments in my life where I've had to navigate that in my heart of, like, I have this vision for my life, mm-hmm. and I have to lay that down. Mm-hmm. I think it happens to me on an everyday basis, too. Like, I there, like when I choose to lay down like whatever I want for maybe a certain amount of time. Like, so let's just say like I come home and I know Cass has had a hard day and like there's dishes in the, in the sink or whatnot. And I choose to go and surrender mm-hmm. my time to go do those dishes. What I've found is that the, that my love for her becomes more real in that moment. Like, so I've surrendered something that like, I just want to go home and I just want to sit down. I just want to relax. I don't want to think about anything. And it's in that moment that I go, you know what? Like if I surrender this, I'm going to get something better. And what do I get better from it? I get Cass's peace of uh, peace of mind, her heart. Like she knows that I'm in it with her and for her. Um, and in the same thing, I would say I've, I've learned this with my kids as my kids have gotten older, they require, um, different types of attention and different types of, 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 um, of energy at times. And there's a level of like, I, I want, there's, there's moments when I just want to sit down and relax and I don't want to have to think about what they're processing through with life. Mm -hmm. And, and what God has been teaching me is, and and I used to rail against it. Like, I'm like, just give me five minutes peace. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. cause it with, with three of them, inevitably they just kind of follow each other and Mm -hmm. take turns with their needs and with the different things. Yeah. And this sounds like I'm a terrible father and, no, and maybe no. I am, but, <laughs> but, not at all. but it's just the, the idea of like, the more I, my desire is to know my kids. My desire is to love my kids well. Mm-hmm. And what I'm, what I've had to find is that surrendering a little bit of my time makes that so much better. Yeah. It, it, it fosters the relationship. And yeah. and so if I want this, if I want the reality of, of, of a relationship with my kids, it it's not going to come at the convenient time when I want it. It's it's going to take times where I have to trade one for the other. Yeah, absolutely. I, I deal with that on like a nightly basis sometimes where it's like, I'll, I'll get home from work and I'll be really tired. Like I'll be so brain dead or maybe it's a day full of meetings or just like high volume thinking or maybe podcasting. It's like, all right, man, I got my brain is just done and I'll be sitting on, on like my, well, like on our chair in our living room and I'll be watching the kids play and I'll be faced with that decision of like, I could climb down there right now and they're going to kill me. <laughs> like they're going to climb all over me. They're going to take me out. It's going to be insane. And I'm so tired. And then, so, you know, you just have to make that decision of like, yes, but I don't want to miss valuable time yeah. to play with my kids where I know that like it makes them feel safe, cared for, loved, mm-hmm. uh, you know, paid attention to you know, so I'll climb down, like wrestle around with them. And every time it's always worth it after that. But after I get them down, I'm like, I'm glad I had that meaningful time. Where it's just that, it's, you know, just going back to that original question. It's that reward of, yeah, God has something better for us. But 
sometimes saying yes to it is like, I just don't want to. I just want a second. I just need to turn off my brain. Please leave me alone. Please don't ask me 10,000 questions right now. Yeah. I accidentally taught all my kids how to do Dwayne The Rock Johnson's The People's Elbow. Like, please, just, <laughs> just, give me, just give me a second. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I started this awful thing where I would fake sleep and they'd wake me up and I'd act surprised. But now it means I can't nap on my couch anymore because it just means they're going to attack me every time mm-hmm. I act, actually fall asleep. <laughs> But yeah, it's just worth it every time because I think that's like sometimes those harder decisions just lead us to better things and lead us to things that bring more life to us, you know, deeper in the design that God has for us. And while challenging, I think it's always worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's tithing for some people. It's that, you know what I mean? I think that's a great example of it. But yeah, there's just this concept that you're always anything that God brings us to is, is always an invitation into something greater even if it feels like it has a cost to it, like yeah. in, in the moment, even if it feels like you have to give something up in that moment. I was going to say, even when you said getting to know your kids better, it's a perspective of God too. Like God wants mm-hmm. to get to know us better and like spend time with us. And like, mm-hmm. even that, like when we spend time with our kids, it's, that's what God wants to do with us. So it's when I do that for Brantley, like God always reminds me of that, of like, this is what I want to do with you. Like, I want to spend time with you. Like you're spending time with him and yeah. Just like a different perspective. Yeah, super good. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, we're going to keep going here. We're going to be picking up in verse 8. Before we do, um, I, I just want to just kind of note something. If, if you're picking up on some language that, that is comparative here in this chapter and, and throughout the book of Hebrews, it, that's good to note because there is comparative language. But I, I think sometimes we can think that that means that one is good and one is bad. Mm. I just want to clarify one more time. Like the, the things that he's going to say, the things that he's going to do, it's not that one is good and one is bad, mm-hmm. but one is the fulfillment of the other. Mm-hmm. One is temporary, one is eternal. One is fulfilled and the other is, is its job was to point to, to the thing that was going to fulfill. So the writer of Hebrews is going to go on and we're going to look at some passages now that he's going to be bringing out some scriptures, looking at Old Testament scriptures to show that once again, Jesus is the greater. Um, and he's the greater, he, he initiates a greater covenant is what we're going to get ready to talk about. So this is verse eight. He says, for he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the, on the day when I look, when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them because declares the Lord. Um, this is out of Jeremiah chapter 31. So just, just note that like, this is a passage that he's looking to an old Testament for, um, for this idea that, that God has always had a thought of something greater one day, picking up in verse 10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So here it's not like a specific quotation of a scripture but if you go into ezekiel or you go into joel and you see these show up in other new testament books Mm -hmm. like you you see them show up in acts this idea that god is not just going to give a people a law to be written on tablets rules to be learned but they're going to desire they're going to have these laws written on their hearts so that they desire and walk in god's ways um without the the need for punishment that without the need for law It, it really is the language that we see show up when in the giving of the Holy Spirit. So can you guys talk a little bit about how the Holy Spirit acts as that law written on our hearts? How does that play out in our lives? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it, it looks like conviction on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So I had a conversation actually just recently about this with somebody where they thought, you know, doing a good act for somebody, you're just doing it so you feel good, mm -hmm. right? That it just makes, eases your conscience, makes you feel better. Um, and I, I think that's like a very common thought of a lot of people, mm -hmm. like to, to assume selfishness is really the motivator behind doing, you know, being generous with the poor or fill the blank with whatever good deed you do for somebody. Mm -hmm. um, but the more, the more I always think about that, I, I always think about like, yeah, but like I was designed that way though. Yeah. So like I was designed to feel good after doing good. I was designed to feel good after being in community with people. I was designed mm -hmm. to feel good after helping somebody who needs mm -hmm. help. That's not like that's not a personality flaw that God gave me. Like that's not you know that's yeah. that's a gift from Him. That's the Holy Spirit in our life, and I think that's that written law in our heart. And we're almost designed, from a chemical standpoint, to feel good when we do good, when we do mm -hmm. the things that God asks us to do. We feel better, and there's relief in that, and there's there's peace in that, and that, and yeah, and it, and and I don't think that that should be the the motivating factor of why we do good things. But I don't think it should be something to make us feel bad. God literally designed us in a way to feel accomplished when we do what he would ask us to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then we know what to do because we're prompted by the Holy Spirit. So that's where like someone who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord might call that their conscience. But the idea of like, no, you have a feeling inside of you of what's the right thing in this moment. Mm -hmm. um, and the, and you can ignore that conscience, you can ignore the Holy Spirit and run from it and run from it. But, but there is a deep satisfaction doing those things. And you don't always need to be told. Sometimes it's that feeling of, oh, you really should talk to that person or I should really apologize to that person or, mm -hmm fill in the blank with whatever brokenness mm -hmm. you're participating it in. So that's that's the way that always hits me of like, you know, where he's, he's going to put uh, you know, his law into our minds and he's going to write it on our heart and, and that 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 will be that he will be our God. It's just this feeling of like he's not just going to be like, all right, well, I'm your God. Now go figure it out. No, he's equipped us. He's equipped us mm -hmm. literally chemically to feel good when we do good. He's equipped us with the Holy Spirit inside of us to convict us on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And my responsibility is to continue to submit to that. Absolutely. Well, I think I think you hit on something really cool there because the whole concept is that this is we were talking about earlier like this was god's plan that, that his people would dwell with him have his spirit within them be able to uh, know his ways walk in his ways that was the design that god created us for yeah like when he made us in his image that's what that's what i take that to mean and we even see that when when paul tells uh paul tells the roman christians that, that you were designed for this purpose to be made in the likeness of, of yeah, the sun. Absolutely. And so like you get this idea that when God created us in his image, what he created us for is to have the same values, to have the same heart, to mm -hmm. have the same desires. And, and the promise here is that with the Holy spirit inside of us, we're working right. back towards that design. Mm -hmm. right. And it goes back to that, like what's real, what's, mm -hmm. what's the shadow with the Holy spirit in our lives. We are working towards becoming the human beings that God designed us to be mm -hmm. to yeah, do the absolutely. good and feel good. Yeah, and I think the closer we get to that design, the the, more, the higher our quality of life is, and the yeah. more the kingdom of heaven is advanced. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, like, you know, it, when I talk about quality of life, again, it's that selfishness feeling of like, oh, you're only doing that to feel good. It's like, not that it might not be the motivator, but no, you, you, well, you do have a higher quality of life when you submit to the way God designed you to. Like, mm -hmm. if I know I'm an image, exactly the way Pastor Chris said it, I know that I'm an I image bearer of Christ and, and, and of God, and if I operate like that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel better because mm -hmm. I'm feeling the way and I'm doing the things that He asked me to do. And that's exactly right. You compound that with the fit, with like literally being filled with the Holy Spirit and submitting to that. Like everything else is just like a is like a is just like a like a fake path. You can head down for a second; it might feel good, mm -hmm. but it just leads to more brokenness because mm -hmm. it's not the way God designed you. Yeah. Absolutely, um, Tiff. Would you just kind of talk a little bit about how the Holy Spirit plays out in your life in giving some 
um, some guidance into, or let, well, let me ask this question. How has it played out in your life, but then also you're, you work a lot with children, mm-hmm. and so how have you began to teach um, Tree Church kids how to experience the Holy Spirit in their lives? We always talk to them, like, we always say, like, there's not a junior Holy Spirit. So it's not like you, <laughs> like, awesome. yeah. you know, he's You don't get real. Holy Spirit yeah. light or yeah, exactly. a kid's version. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, and he, he is, and we talk about it. It's just like your conscience. Like you, like when you all of a sudden say, oh, I should be saying this to my parents. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the Holy Spirit saying to you, hey, hold up. Let's restart. Let's do something. Um, even, um, like with their friends, like being kind to their friends, not being a bully, like all of those things, like the basic things of life, but reminding them that God's talking to them. So if you're having a relationship with God, he's telling you, Hey, I want you to stop doing that. I want you to be different than the world. So yeah, that's the way we always talk to them. Super good. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Let's pick up in verse 11 and they shall not teach each one, his neighbor and each one, his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. This idea it, it comes from Isaiah chapter 54. Again, I, I just want to highlight, these are all like scriptural ideas that he's pulling from the Old Testament just to demonstrate his point. And, and so Tiff, today we talked earlier about this idea of how having direct access to God, what he mentions here, um, how amazing that is. Mm-hmm. Can you expound and just share kind of sure. what you were sharing with me a little bit earlier? So I was studying numbers. I did numbers like last month and first five app. And it was just so interesting to me because they were talking about like they had to go to the high priest. If they made a sin, they had to like kill a goat. Like, I mean, it was just like all this tedious stuff they had to do in order to be right with God. And if you think about it, Jesus fulfilled all of that. So we could just go to God and we could talk to him and ask him to forgive us of our sins. And back then the Gentiles wouldn't have known about that. So like you think about all these people groups who had never known about Jesus and the relationship we could have with God. So to me, I just think it's so cool just to read about like the new covenant, like the newness that God has made and restored in us. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and I, I, I taught about this a little bit on, on uh, this past Sunday uh, when I was talking about prayer, but the, the privilege that we have mm-hmm. to be able just at any moment, any time approach, yeah. approach God mm-hmm. And, and know that he's there, he hears us, right. and that he's for us, like, that's a game changer. To, to think that I would have to, in a moment of need, go down to the temple to make my sacrifice yeah. to, and, and not that that, that again, right. there, there was a moment in time for that, there, that was the way that God set it up for, for a time, but, like, just to know that we have direct access to God, that they're, the only mediator that stands between yeah. us mm-hmm. is Christ, and right. so... The fact that he opens that up to our lives to allow us to um, to 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 once again going back to even like what we talked about earlier the design, I mean Adam and Eve walked in the the cool of the day with God like mm-hmm. to be able to have direct access mm-hmm. to Him is is amazing to me. Yeah, yeah, incredible. So, um, how would you say, Michael, that that having that direct access to God has made an impact on your life? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. You know, for me. Just knowing that I have the peace and comfort that I don't have to go through a bunch of steps and processes, because I, you know, I can't, I can't speak for you guys, but I know that, you know, because I'm a human and because I sin, oftentimes going to God feels like, like a, like a, like, like labor. It feels mm-hmm. intimidating. It feels like, man, I've got to really process through all these things that I did wrong, and I should probably go seek wise counsel, and then maybe I'll be like holy in front of God, mm-hmm. where I can talk to Him. That's mm-hmm. like the human bent, and I yeah. don't know exactly where that comes from. Maybe like just 
we all grew up in a somewhat performative culture. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But what I know is that I feel that tension of just mm-hmm. like, man. So to have this release and be able to remind myself of like, okay, first of all, like God, he, no, nothing's news to him. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, right. whatever I'm afraid to go to him about, he, it's not like it's he's going to be like, you did what? <laughs> like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, he already knows. Yeah. It's not a surprise. So the idea of trying to hide that or the idea of trying to like put that off or try to find the perfect way to say it that's the most redemptive. That just doesn't really apply to God. So it's this relief of just saying, like, I can just pray right now. Yeah. I can just talk to God. And every single time he's going to meet me with grace, sometimes with correction, mm-hmm. sometimes with um, an opportunity to fix something in my life, but certainly always with grace. And and that is like the the, the biggest relief ever, because the idea of, of being in, you know, you know, really in, in an Old Testament situation before the life, death and resurrection of Jesus that feels like such an intense process to yeah. just be in the right standing with the Lord. One that's deserved because of our sin. Mm-hmm. But it just, if anything, it's a moment to reflect on the generosity of God of like, yeah, that yeah. Could, that should st- still probably stand. The fact that we'd have to go jump through all these hoops to be able to mm-hmm. connect to God. And we just don't. Mm-hmm. And I just never want to not be grateful of that. And I never want to feel like I can trick God and not take advantage of that. Yeah. I always want to be so mindful of the fact that literally my connection with God is just talking to him. Mm-hmm. It's right there. It's, fr- it's free. You yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah. That, that's awesome. Um, verse 12, he continues on. He says, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I'll remember their sins no more. You kind of alluded to it already. Yeah, you, yeah. you talked about this idea that, that Christ came and he forgave us. I, I, I think as you look down through this list, and, and I think it started back here in verse 8, and he starts listing all of these different things that God had always planned for his people, that they would be, um, that, that they would have, uh, let, let me go back to verse 8. Let me not try to recall it off of my memory, but. Um, just the fact that God had a plan and a covenant that would last forever with mm-hmm. his people. So he always wanted to to have a people, and he always planned to have uh, people that he would call his own. And then he has this plan where he's going to put not the law on, on their in the books in front of them, but he's going to put it on their minds and their hearts. He's going to give them his presence and give them the Holy Spirit. And then they're, then they're going to have direct access to him. So they're mm-hmm. going to be able to understand what he desires and what he wants for them without having to be taught, which— being taught isn't bad, but right. the whole concept of having the Holy Spirit inside of you and, and being led and having having no mediator other than Jesus mm-hmm. um, is a is a central promise to to the people of God. But then also to have their sins forgiven, to, ha- to have their their um, their sins counted against them no more. Like, can we understand why and how the, the writer of Hebrews sees this as the fulfillment of and the better covenant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Yeah, well, I mean, I think like without that, God is God is oh man. I want to say this without sounding like a heretic. <laughs> but without that promise or without that new covenant, God suddenly becomes somewhat cruel at times. Yeah. It's the idea of like, well, I'm gonna allow you to continue in sin, I'm gonna allow you to continue in brokenness, but I'm not gonna give you mercy. And yeah. I'm not gonna give you an opportunity mm-hmm. for salvation. I'm not going to give you an opportunity to sit with me for eternity, mm-hmm. but I'm also not going to prevent you from being born. Yeah. Does that make sense? Where yeah. all of a sudden it's like this really intense thing of like, okay, so, you know, this might be kind of heady, but if you can just stick with me for a second. I didn't consent to being born. Like mm-hmm. I didn't petition to the Lord before I was born and say, hey, I really want to exist. <laughs> like here, here are 10 reasons why. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I was born, I was born into yeah. a sinful vessel. Mm-hmm. So the idea of being born in that sinful vessel and God saying, no, there's no opportunity for, mm-hmm. you know, for, for redemption here. You know, this idea of I'm going to be merciful toward your iniquities, your brokenness. I'll remember your sins no more. Even that second part is so astounding to me that he's not even, that he will remember my sins no more. 
to not have that part mm -hmm. makes the fact that I exist somewhat unjust in nature yeah. of like, okay, well, I didn't even ask for this. I didn't ask to be born into a sinful yeah. vessel. So for God to say, no, you're born into sin and you do have sin. There are consequences of that sin, but I'm not going to have a memory of those sins because of the work that I did on the cross mm -hmm. for you. All of a sudden takes God and changes him from this like, well, why am I even here to, oh, wow, I have an opportunity to glorify God in my brokenness and it's the mm -hmm. greatest honor. Yeah. And I feel all of a sudden very honored to be alive, yeah. not, yeah. not any sure. regrets or, or questioning or mm -hmm. frustrations. Like, why'd you, why'd you even make me to begin with? You know, mm -hmm. what the heck? To go from that to like, oh, wow, what a, what a generous God mm -hmm. that we serve to give us an opportunity to glorify him, to give us an opportunity to live in that brokenness and to glorify him in spite of that brokenness and to have him have no record of our wrongs in that for him to be merciful towards our sin and our brokenness. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think thinking about the old Testament, thinking about the covenant that he, that the writer of Hebrews is, is talking about and, and what they're coming out of again, it, it worked for a time, right. but yeah. what we're about to find out or what, what the readers were about to find out, depending on when there, there's still kind of some talk about when this was written but they're either they're either getting ready to experience the most devastating thing to the Jewish faith, mm -hmm. or they've already experienced the most devastating thing to the Jewish faith, and that was the the wiping out of the temple when yeah. when Rome comes in and wipes out Jerusalem and and destroys the temple. Essentially, their access to God has been wiped out at yeah. that point, or is about ready to be wiped out. Yeah. And and so you get this idea that like God in His foresight knew that this was going to lead to this, and and and. You see in Jesus, you see in other Old Testament prophets, the corruption of, of this system, how it had been taken advantage of, how it had been used and abused um, to, to maintain power for some at the sake of others. And so there, there's a level of judgment on, on the system at that point. And, and Christ comes and he fulfills all of these things, not only making it a, a more pure, truer covenant, not based on like this system that's broken anymore, mm -hmm. but... It removes all of the the potential for obstacles in that, that yeah. way. Yeah, well, right. Well, so Rome destroying the temple, all of a sudden, yeah, like their opportunity for that is now gone. Right. You know? So to have it not contingent on a human being anymore mm -hmm. or a nation or an opposing nation, I mean, how liberating. You yeah. know what I mean? And, that, and again, it goes to this position of just like, wow, that's really frustrating to like, wow, how generous. Yeah. You know, and that's like every time I read read that verse specifically, but also just that that context in the Bible, I'm just always astounded by God's generosity in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the ideas of covenants are, like, so So God still has a people. Like, just because just because that it's changed in how that people is is founded, the covenant that they're going off of. And if you don't know what the term covenant is, it's it, at its simplest, it's a contract. Mm -hmm. It's a contract that was used in, in, uh, in ancient times. And it was just a contract between two different people. What makes it unique is... Anytime God would make a covenant is he was the one who would always ratify the covenant. Mm -hmm. So he would say, like, if this covenant fails, be it on me to pay the payment of, of this. So like, so if Israel failed God, it was he was the one who would said, I will bear the price mm -hmm. of, of this failed contract. And so like that is what we see in that. And so so God is establishing a people. He's he's renewing a covenant when in the old covenants that that the Jewish people really held on to was the covenant of Abraham with uh, the covenant of circumcision. You see Paul talk about that constantly. He's like, that is not the, the, the indicator of the people of God any longer. The law was a big part of the covenant, the Mosaic mm -hmm. covenant. And, and we've talked a little bit about that today, just a little bit about having the law written on our hearts and, and all of that. But the law was a, a type of covenant that 
the, the Jewish people really grabbed on. And I, I want to be careful because there, there are Jewish people who love the law and are seeking God and yeah, certainly. seeking to obey. So, like, I don't want to ever make it sound like um, this is a lesser thing in, in any way. But what what Christ did and what Christ came to establish was the the, um, the new way of relating and being the people of God. Mm-hmm. Now the obedient people of God are the people who submit to Christ and are the people who follow after Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and this is this is what the New Testament lays out, but it's also what traditional Judaism has railed against in that saying, no, that these these covenants are still more important. Right. But the argument from Hebrews is that for the Jewish people and for the Gentiles, the only true real covenant that lasts and is eternal is the covenant that Jesus set mm-hmm. set before us. Yeah, well said. And, and did I read verse 13? I can't remember if I read it. Okay, so this is what it says in verse 13. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. And again, we've, already t- we've, we've really made a lot of comments on this already, so I'm right. not going to get into that a whole lot. But... I just want to ask this question, and then we'll, we'll kind of close out. The conversation is often the abandonment of the law for grace. So you see in Paul a, a dynamic where he starts to talk about the law versus grace, um, that, that, that you'll never fulfill this new covenant by living out the law, that it's only by Jesus and by his blood and, and, and grace. Mm-hmm. In the Christian world, you get this dichotomy of like, well, that's legalistic or yeah. that's grace. Is all morality, is is all of the things that the Old Testament teaches us, are those things obsolete? Is that what the writer of Hebrews is saying? Or is it that there is a better way to fulfill that? Yeah, yeah. my friend Mackie told me once, it's like one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard him say, where he just said that God would rather be um, blessing you than forgiving you. And that comment specifically comes to mind with that question of like, yeah, listen, we do have grace, and that is the new law, mm-hmm. one filled with grace. God would rather not be daily giving you grace for a bunch of stuff because it means rather than giving you grace, you're missing out on a better quality of life mm-hmm. and doing the things he asked you to do. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where you've had this combativeness. Where some, I remember when I was a kid, that was like such a hot topic within churches and church styles of like, well, that place is so secret sensitive and it's all about grace and they don't preach any truth. And then other places are like, oh, it's so legalistic and they don't talk about grace. They just want to yell at everybody all the time and tell them they're going to hell, right? Said idea of like, well, no, it really is both. Like God does want you to be better. Yeah. God doesn't want to have to spend every waking hour of your life mm-hmm. giving you grace to, so because you just messed up again. Not the desire of his heart, mm-hmm. but God will do that. And yeah. I think that's where yeah. like the nuance of it comes is like God certainly will. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's his preference and it shouldn't be your preference. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I want to live my life in a way where he is blessing me for continuing to submit to him and doing the things he asked me to do and blessing me with more things to steward over. And, and you know, in, in, in that kind of context, mm-hmm. rather than, you know, over and over again having to go back to the same thing. Mm-hmm. And while I say that, it, that might even sound legalistic in itself, but I'm not saying that from a place of like, oh, I'm really good at that. I'm saying it from a place of like, no, I still mess up all the time. Right. So I, yeah. I, have, I have both of those things in my yeah. life in, in any given day. Yeah. I was going to say, that what came to mind when you, were, when, when you were talking, Michael, was that grace is not the freedom to sin, it's the freedom from sin. Super yeah. good. And, and so like, it's that, that whole concept of like, Grace has freed us to be able to pursue the pathway of God. Yeah. Now, does it play out exactly as the Old Testament law plays out? No, but Jesus Jesus gave context for the laws. He, right. he says, "Love your neighbor, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, mm-hmm. you're fulfilling the law." Right. Well, I, look at all the commands that Jesus gives, mm-hmm. particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been processing yeah. through that series. What do all those laws revolve around? 
isn't it? Loving God and yes. loving others. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like if we are really obeying the commands of God, if we're following after God, the question of is the Old Testament law valid for us, I think it becomes obsolete. Mm-hmm. Th- that question becomes obsolete. Right. Does that exactly. make sense? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like that, Not that's, that the law does, but the right. question is mm-hmm. it doesn't quite suit or answer the question that you want it to. Right, answer. because the heart behind the Old Testament law, the heart behind Moses was to begin to expose the Israelites to these concepts, yeah. the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, those played in very specific contextual ways mm-hmm. in the Old Testament law. Um, we have different contextual ways of having to live that out. I can, I'm not great at coming up with examples right off the top of my head, but sure, like yeah. their thing, like being empathetic and listening and, be, and, and, and yeah, not just right. railing on people, like that is a new way of living out some of the commands of God to, 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 yeah, well, to not so. just blast people and run over them with, with truth, even though you still hold the truth. Like, mm-hmm. so, um, I was going to even say forgiving somebody, forgiving somebody that's really wronged you, and you know you're right. Like even in that sense, like my least favorite thing to do yeah. in the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> but it shows you who God is, yeah, because absolutely. I mean, like that's the way He did, does mm-hmm. for us is He forgives us so much, and so I think even that just yeah shows God's grace. Yeah, super good. Yeah, well, guys, thank you so much for your time today and for your insights. Uh, I always love hearing how uh, you guys bring different perspectives mm-hmm. to the Word, and so. I really appreciate that. Do you guys have any other closing thoughts before we finish up? I do not. Nope. All right. Well, thank you both again. Who do you, who do you think wrote R- Romans? Did you see Romans? the Jeopardy question this week? Paul. Paul wrote Romans. Sorry, not Romans. He <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Did you see the Jeopardy question last week? That no. was like It literally made the whole world angry. The question was, <laughs> what letter was written by Paul? That's why I was thinking Romans. What letter was written by Paul that quoted the most Old Testament scripture? Oh. And the answer was Hebrews. Oh. And people were livid. So there's thought and theory. There's the right answer to that is Romans, but like okay. there's no consensus that Paul wrote Hebrews. To so, my knowledge, let's just like new information. Out so there. that's unique. Okay, so I'll I'll go. I'm gonna jump into Sorry this. Sorry to make this no, longer, you're but good. I'm no. really interested to hear your take on this. I was gonna ask you as soon as the podcast ended, but I figured if people care about, so, yeah. So the line of Pauline thinking is 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 prominent. The language is not there. So like he uses different words to describe mm-hmm. the different things than than he would like say that he's done in Romans and to say the way that he's done it in Ephesians yeah. or Galatians or whatnot. He, he, the words that he uses are different. The writer of Hebrews uses are different than what Paul would use. Right. So written in a different style, written in almost like a different vocabulary language kind of terminology mm-hmm. type stuff. But the th- the lines of thought are present, like yeah. if that makes sense. Right, it's stuff that it seems to be stuff that was probably taught by Paul at one point. Yeah, it, yeah. So my thought is, is okay. So whoever this is, they know of Paul. They know of either Paul's writings or they've heard Paul talk or they've been around Paul. Yeah. Kind of like Luke. Luke. Yeah. Luke was around Paul. So when as he's writing, my guess is there are Pauline influences, mm-hmm. and I would say the same thing. That, that Paul would had a, would have had Lucan influences in his writing because they they interacted with each other and Peter yeah. talked you know what I mean like so Absolutely. so these guys are all contemporaries and they're all talking to each other and they're all so you see very central and on top of that you have the Holy Spirit leading them most importantly you know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. so you get these very similar themes th- go throughout it do I think Paul wrote this evidence points away from that mm-hmm. but. Do you have a theory as to who you thought? No. This week I read Priscilla. I read which I don't think I agree with, but I read that Priscilla was a common thought. It's a it's a possible. They said it's a possibility, not a likely one, but yeah. a possibility. It's, that whole conversation is so interesting to me. You know what's interesting? The fact that it made it into the Bible. Usually, for something to be canonized, you need to know who wrote it, 
when they wrote it, it needs to be like super buttoned up. And the fact that we just don't, I'm assuming it made it in originally because they thought it was Paul. Was that the thought? It's, I don't know. It, okay. It's got to be tied. It, it's not, doesn't have to be written by an apostle. It's got to be tied closely to the Paul, to an apostolic thought and an apostolic way of looking sure. at it. So it's got to be, it's got to come from that same time period where it could have, yeah. could have been. Um, it probably helps that it's so rich in Old Testament too. Yeah. I, it's like, it's, yeah. Yeah. And so like, this could have been a sermon of any one of the apostles. It could have been a sermon of one of the apostles of the apostles. I mean, mm-hmm. their thoughts that some of, well, I mean, I mean, you look at Paul's writings. Most people think Paul sat down and he just wrote these letters out. I, I don't know that that's the process that how that happened. You, you see a lot of the letters come from him and Timothy. They come from him and Timothy and Silas. They mm-hmm. come, you know what I'm saying? So you get this almost this idea that they're they're kicking these ideas around talking about them praying praying about them praying for the churches and thinking about the ways they can best describe these things and then they they hire somebody to come in and start taking notes on what they're saying yeah and and they they work with the this person to write out this letter That's to to yeah. these people and then they have it formally because honestly this is an expensive process mm-hmm. in the old test in this time period so it was expensive to write something down and to hmm. send it yeah, that makes so sense. Yeah, it's not like, I mean, the notebooks that they used were wax so that they could melt it and restart over again because parchment was so expensive. So they weren't just scribbling down on parchment. So they would do drafts in wax. What did they do? How would they write on the wax? So they would carve it. like. So they would write the letters in the wax. That's wild. Yeah. That would just take forever. Could you imagine? Well, I would seem like forever. That's why it was an expensive process. You had to hire somebody who could write it down. Like, so, yeah. Oh, I'm glad yeah. I asked. That's, if you get Me bored, too. go to Twitter and just type in Jeopardy and it is Paul. And you, it, it's a scandal. People are really upset about it. People are upset. Even like people I can't believe Jeopardy didn't fact pe- check people that. People who aren't Christians. Well, that's why people are mad. People who aren't Christians, they're just Jeopardy fans. Like, this is irresponsible because the guy, like, he's still ended up winning. But the guy's on a streak right now almost lost it. He's like, that's a bad, you know. Yeah, that Jeopardy fans question. are mad. Yeah. Christians are mad. Everybody's mad. Yeah. If, it's not worth being angry. <laughs> it's not worth being mad about because <laughs> – <laughs> like it, it is. It's all speculation because ninety percent—I won't say ninety percent—but a lot of the books in the Bible are anonymous. Yeah. Like the Gospels don't tell us who wrote them. Like yeah. the, you know what I'm saying? So like, there's not like a Paul says at the beginning of his letter, "I Paul," right? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. there's not that at the beginning of them. Um, but church history ties them to a line, a, a a group of thought, like a a, a scholar, uh, not a scholar, but like a an apostolic thought, and and so like they they come up with these traditions that this was produced by this apostle mm. from this line, this line of view. That's crazy. So it's, and, and, and that's not scandalous. Like I'm not, what I'm not what I'm saying is not right. a commonplace thought. Yeah. Not, it's a commonplace thought. So it, go, go in there and look, the only place you're going to find this was written by Matthew is in the, the header that was added later on. Hmm. So that's interesting. Well, I'm so, glad I asked. That's super interesting. All right. So, yeah, that just a little bit about how the Bible was written. So I have no other big questions. So. Okay. <laughs> so, sorry. No, no. That, that's that a great question. That's great. And I hope to explore some more of information like that in, in next year's version of the True Church Bible Study Podcast. Very cool. yeah. So we might take a break from a book of the Bible to talk about some of the concepts of how we get the Bible. That's oh, awesome. Man. And so, yeah. like, um, and, and I would love to still figure out a way that we can do it in a conversation so we can mm-hmm. do stuff like this. I'll just ask you questions. Th- that's perfect. Like, so, but uh, yeah, like I, I want us to understand just as much how we got our scripture. Cause I, it, for me, 
that makes it all the more beautiful to, to see how God used human hands yeah. mm-hmm. to create his word that he's passed down. And, and if you think about it, what else has been passed down through antiquity in the way that it's mm-hmm. been passed down? Right. How can you not say that the Holy Spirit has right. guided it and, and, and yeah, well been with it? And I mean, human beings can't agree on anything. Right. So like mm-hmm. without the Holy Spirit, like mm-hmm. how does this get to us? And so, yeah, um, so yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We're really glad you joined us today. This has been Hebrews chapter 8, and I was joined by Pastor Michael and Miss Tiff, and really glad that you're listening. Hope that this is helpful for you and your understanding of the Word of God, and we pray that you join us next week as we jump into Hebrews chapter 9. Thanks for listening.